1: You know, I thought I knew my father in law pretty well. And then one day we were chatting, we're having some drinks, and I heard this crazy story about when he was in college that I had never heard before. And that got me wondering how many other stories of his don't I know? Well, that's why I got my father in law story worth.
2: Give all of the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. Story worth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 in your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash milkshake. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash milkshake to save $10 on your first purchase, storyworth.com slash milkshake.
1: Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hi, I'm Reza Aslan,
2: and I'm Rain Wilson. And I'm Rain Wilson, and I'm Rain Wilson, and I'm Rain Wilson. What,
1: what is what is happening? What's going on? What are you doing?
2: Oh, it's just me and all my selves and all our parallel universes. Oh boy, here we go. Science! <laughs> I don't know why. He <laughs> blinded me with science!
1: <laughs> you and I are scientific guys. People, you know, we're spiritual guys, but we're scientific guys too.
2: Like, I mean, I think. Well, what does that mean, scientific it guys? It means we. I enjoy... mean, I read the occasional science blog on the New York Times or something, but.
1: I guess what I mean by that is that we take very seriously mm-hmm. uh, science as a methodology. Sure the idea that you observe certain phenomena yep. you theorize about the causes yep. uh, of the those phenomena you you want to replicate it yeah you replicate it you 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 exactly you you test it out uh-huh and then you know you sort of plant your flag on things that are real and and fact based while at the same time in our case also being open to the mysteries of the universe and, and a spiritual perspective and a, a longing for transcendence and, and uh, the taking seriously the idea of uh, a creator with a will and, you know, all those things that seem, I think, on the outside... Fairly unscientific, but that's not how you and I think.
2: But, you know, there's a lot of science to spirituality itself, right? Isn't there a kind of a, a scientific method to spirituality in a weird way? Like, hey, this works and makes me happy and makes me more fulfilled and makes me feel more connected and I feel more in my purpose when I do X, Y, and Z. Oh, so let me replicate X, Y, and Z. Oh, does it still make me feel that way? Oh, it does. Then there must be some spiritual truth. To that.
1: That's a really good point. And I think that also, I think, contradicts how non-spiritual people sometimes think about spiritual people. You know, like the idea that— They think you're we're idiots. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's Sam Harris thinks you're an idiot. Let's yeah, just face it.
1: Sam that's what I'm trying to say, basically, is that, um, that I think there's this assumption that if you— you know, believe in God, or if you are religious, or if you, you know, uh, long for a spiritual edification, that, that you have no systematic approach exactly, yeah. that you're unreasonable, that you're irrational, yeah, that that you are against evidence, yeah, right, right. Or the flip side of that, which also drives me so crazy sometimes, is the belief that, oh, if I could just show you evidence that contradicts your your spiritual nature, mm-hmm. that you won't be spiritual anymore. Which, again, is just such a misunderstanding of, yeah. of, the, of the spiritual perspective, right? I mean, I often say that if aliens suddenly showed up, you know, from Alpha Centauri, is mm-hmm. that a place? I That think is a place. That's a place, sure, yeah. And just kind of came into this studio and introduced themselves. Could uh, we get them
2: for the podcast,
1: Amy? Do you think we <laughs> could get one, the aliens? Number one, we'd book them.
2: I have to sign a release, and I don't know if aliens know how to sign (laughs) something. And number two,
1: uh, that wouldn't in any way contradict, you know, people's religions. Christians would be like, oh,
2: now there's aliens. I'm still a Christian. This this has happened time and time again. Listen, um, as soon as Darwin discovered evolution, uh, there was a whole ream of people that were like, aha! Religion has been disproved. (laughs) There is no God because we don't need a God of the gaps, a God to have created guppies and have created lizards that crawled up on land and created monkeys that then turned into humans. That This just happened through science. Um, And of course, that's preposterous. And, and it's the same thing when uh, they discovered like the spot of the brain wh- that experiences spirituality. Uh, and they right. have a brain scan, like, oh, look, you're experiencing spirituality here. Ha-ha! Therefore, we have shown the materialist roots it's of spirituality. Yeah, and exactly. uh Well, of course, that's how it would work. What else I mean, would we experience yeah, it? I in our toes? Yeah, in some magical fairy dust place. Uh,
1: well, I'll, I'll say one other thing that I've noticed is that the more science becomes theoretical, the more it starts digging deep into the very nature of reality, the more it sounds a lot like spirituality. kind of right? does, right? They, the way that they use words to kind of explain the nature of reality, the way that they accept certain uh, ideas— That have absolutely no proof, you know, in the sort of traditional sense. String theory. Uh, Right. Spooky action at a
2: distance from quantum mechanics. So I guess fundamentally
1: what we're saying, are are science and religion a lot more alike than we think Hmm.
2: they are? Do they Hmm. have a
1: lot more in common than we just assume that that
2: they do? I'm going to say yes to that, but why don't we ask our next guest?
1: Yeah, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to... yeah. (laughs) Matt O'Dowd is a professor at Lemon College, part of the City University of New York. He's also uh, a resident research associate at the American Museum of Natural History, but the reason we love him so much is he is writer and host of this thing called PBS Space Time which is like this awesome, delightful show that's on YouTube and it explains very complex uh, scientific issues and easy-to-understand language. And he's a handsome man.
2: He's a good-looking Aussie. He's a
1: good-looking guy. Yeah.
2: I didn't know Aussies. Hair. I didn't know scientists could be from Australia.
1: No, no, I think he's the only one.
2: Pretty much. i right? pretty sure. Um, but, yeah, and he also digs into some topics that I would say are metaphysical <gasps> almost parallel universes yeah. multiverses right
1: so let's let's push him let's let's get him to, to help us figure out what science and spirituality can actually have in common with each other So, Matt, this is really fascinating. The Pew Research did a, a stat that said that 73% of Americans know the difference between astronomy and astrology, mm-hmm. which I guess is good news. The bad news being that 27% of Americans don't know the difference between
3: astronomy. I think I admit that 27% <laughs> uh, it, whenever I tell someone what I do at a... At a party I, I usually get asked to, to like, do. Like, oh, what sign are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What tell me my future, Matt. Exactly. But but as, <laughs> no, no, as no, an really, old friend as an future. old friend told me, me not believing in astrology is so Capricorn of me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's perfect. So Matt, um how did you get started in all of this? You astrophysicists kind of look at the very largest questions of the universe. That's what Reza and I are interested in exploring—the very largest questions of the universe. But those sometimes include science and sometimes don't. But why did you choose the scientific path
3: to explore this route? So you know, I grew up. Uh, I grew up Catholic, and in. Any religion there there are there are a lot of things and and, and one of the things that that religions have are uh, supposed answers to the big questions um, at some point I realized that the, the the particular tradition that I grew up with some of the answers that it gave didn 't ring true uh, and so I realized I needed to expand my horizons uh, to to pursue those answers why I needed those answers I can't tell you but Uh, In a, let's call it a gap year, I I dropped out of high school, I started reading a lot of physics books and I realized that somewhere deep down there were at least potentially some of the answers that I sought. Uh, And I just jumped in, went back to school, took the hardest subjects and, you know, it was brutal, Uh, didn't do that well, but slowly I started to get this impression that, that. I was following a path where I could better understand the universe, um, and eventually got a physics degree. Decided that this could be a hell of a life, you know, pursuing these largest questions. And uh, you know, it, to start with, it was it was physics. It was reading the works of Einstein and Heisenberg, and and eventually, astrophysics took my heart because it. I mean, it's clearly the coolest of all of the branches of Absolutely. physics, and So, no let me think about, right? Think about such a range of uh, of different um, fields of physics. At, I mean, at the think same about time. it.
2: There's some like physicists that are studying like buoyancy.
3: Losers,
2: you know, like <laughs> total, how much water do I need in this tank losers. before this thing floats yeah. to the top? I'm on just it.
1: curious. Like at conventions, do the atrophysicists get around and just bully like all the other? Uh, physicists? physicists, you know, they are just like... If go you're a regular
2: like, physicist, yeah, yeah, you're just... probably get bullied all the time.
3: You know, <laughs> as, as physicists, many of us were bullied, and so we're quite <laughs> sensitive to <laughs> that. Right. One of the things that
1: uh, I think some people who study both, you know, religion and, and science would say is that they're fundamentally two different modes of knowing, right? That they're asking two different questions. That as you kind of alluded to right there that um, what you were interested in was more uh, the question of how, right? Which is why you pursued the sciences. Um, But the question of why, which is so much about what religion talks about, and and that's what the metaphor in religion is all about, is is the, the question of why, is a different question. Do you see a necessary conflict between religion and science?
3: I don't subscribe to the notion of this, this pure dichotomy, no scientist thinks in a, you know, this, this very regimented algorithmic way, uh, purely exercising the scientific method. Science has a, a series of tools and and checks that you can pepper your line of inquiry with your, your path of, of, of coming to some knowing. Um, and the tools are designed to, to shore up your method to, you know, create certainty where otherwise you couldn't have it uh, and to, to give a structure that allows you to take that line of inquiry much further. But nonetheless, in exactly the same way as, as I think occurs in religion, much of the work of, of human inquiry is about intuition. It's about synthesizing the information that comes in uh whether it, it comes in consciously or not and synthesizing it often unconsciously yielding these incredible intuitions these senses of truth which guide the path of your study uh, and and to me the scientific method is a way to just leverage that to add kind of this this, this concreteness and 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 to add a type of surety to you know the questions and the you ask and the answers that you reach that allow a sharing uh of that method so that others can build in in a, i guess a, a way that that is more certain than i guess the the sort of stories that you know, building upon stories, uh, you know, and building upon the senses of truth, uh, but only in in what feels like a, a looser way, uh, as occurs, I guess, in, in what you might call spiritual inquiry. But one of the things you
2: said was is really interesting to me is you were addressing a searching for certainty. And I always view like the worst of religion as being certainty. You know, when someone says like, I am the way and the light, and the only way to the Father is through me. And that means you believe anything else, that you're going to hell. And like it's a, this kind of certainty that has a rigidity to it. Um, it's certainly not what I ascribe to and what a lot of spiritual people ascribe to. But, but how do you achieve certainty in the study of the universe? Because it seems to me like the more I dive into anything science-related, there's very little certainty. In fact, we find something out. You know, I grew up. And the smallest possible thing is a neutron. There is nothing smaller than that. There is nothing smaller than that. And it's only matter and light and energy in the universe. And then all of a sudden there's dark matter and dark energy. And there's neutrinos and there's alpha particles or whatever that's tinier than that. And like all of these kind of things we were certain about have been completely uh, broken. Do you really feel like you're going to get to a place where you have certainty through
3: science? Definitely not. Uh, And the fact that the view of the world in which neutrons were the smallest thing, the the fact that that was broken is, uh, I think, a a testament to the power of science. And and paradoxically, the power of science is to embrace, like vigorously embrace uncertainty. uh, And perhaps the goal ultimately is certainty or, you know, the apex point is, is certainty, but that's something we reach for. it's not something we expect to ultimately achieve, but what we do know is that by embracing the fact that we do not know, it does lead us closer to that point and and so that's the aim to get closer and closer and and we do I think you can't deny that we understand the world vastly better now than we did fifty years ago, a hundred years ago sure uh, and you know and for me, I think part of the problem is that that many scientists. Are a little smug <laughs> about how how that, their understanding of the universe uh supersedes other understandings um, and i'm i'm guilty of that sometimes myself uh, but i i really feel that you know i just wish everyone was a little less certain about their their certainties i think uh the fact that we can and and should and must ask continue to ask questions about things that we think we know uh, is critical uh, and and to me that's in that's integral to the scientific method it's interesting the word that caught
1: my attention when you were talking about sort of what science is and isn't wasn't certainty it was intuition that was the word that that you know made me lift my eyebrows because so much of particularly you know when you get to astrophysics and you know theoretical physics and uh when you're talking about the nature of the the universe the stuff that you know we love to talk about so much of that is based on intuition and not
3: really observable um fact right sure um i mean you know we're we're pretty flawed entities you know as as assessors of truth observers of the universe we're we're pretty flawed we're we're massively biased and in all different ways uh, you know evolutionarily and and genetically and, and and by our upbringing and environments we see a world which is only a a, a sliver of the true world and we uh, interpret it massively you know it's a it's a skewed perspective but nonetheless we are you know we have this sense of of what is real and what is not real. We know when we're awake rather than dreaming. We have this kind of truth organ in us. You know, there's an expression when something rings true. It's an intangible intuition that something's true. Uh, Where does that come from? It comes from deep in our brain. Our brain is working hard to... Compare things to look for consistencies in in what it knows, and and it it yields us this this sense of truth when things match up, when its model of the universe matches uh, the evidence. Uh, so you know that that's a bit of speculative neuroscience there, but but I, I think it's reasonable. Uh, so we, we are intuiting things; we don't consciously go through all of the process of every little you know calculation of truth, uh, but. But when we have them, you know what they can do is they can point us in the right direction. Uh, and I like to think of science as a, a structure that we then build on that. We, ha- we, we have this kind of compass, which is our intuition of truth. But we, we don't always know that it points true. Sometimes we can have that falsely.
1: You know, long-time listeners of the Metaphysical Milkshake Pod know that uh, quite some time ago, I got my mother-in-law, StoryWorth. You know, it's this great uh, service that helps you or your loved one uh, connect through sharing stories and memories, and then it preserves them for years to come. Well, Father's Day is coming, and I figured I don't have any good ideas for a Father's Day gift, so why don't I give my father-in-law StoryWorth? And that's exactly what I did Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought of, like, what is one of your fondest childhood memories? Or have you ever
2: feared for your life? So let me get this right. After one year, StoryWorth compiles all of these anecdotes, questions, memories, stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book.
1: That's exactly it. It's it's an easy way to write their biography. That's how you should think about it. Ah
2: perfect. So give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash milkshake. That's dot com slash milkshake to save $10 on your first purchase. StoryWorth.com slash milkshake.
1: Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. In fact, it contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, 60 milligrams magnesium, and with none of the junk. That means no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weaknesses. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium, and you can lose up to seven grams per day. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue.
2: Now, I'll tell you something. Um, As you know, I play a lot of tennis. And uh, I started using Element, and I just love it. I When I've gone back to other ones, or someone has given me a different kind of electrolyte powder for my, you know, for my thermos bottle, um, I, it's just so sweet. And you realize like, wait a minute, I don't want to drink all of that sugar. Element is so sure you will love their product and come back for more. They're offering you a free Element sample pack. That's eight single serving packets, free. Just cover the cost of shipping. It's $5 for U.S. customers. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash milkshake. This deal is not available on their regular website. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T. Get it, Element, L-M-N-T dot com slash milkshake. Element offers no questions asked refunds. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and we'll give you your money back, no questions asked. You got nothing to lose, folks.
3: You,
1: you uh, very humorously said, you know, that um, y- you hate it when people... Uh, turn science into sort of pseudo-spirituality, right? That it, that it really bothers you, um, which I totally get.
2: Like the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? Right, exactly, Ugh.
1: yeah. So b- basically Wish. the kind of stuff that Rain and I do. Um, <laughs> like, the, the reason for this podcast. So, um, but I wonder, though, like, the way I hear you talking— And I really appreciate the sort of the openness that you have about the limits of scientific knowledge and the fact that so much of it is essentially uh, intuition that, you know, you begin with a certain set of postulates and then you sort of use those postulates to point you generally in a direction and then you pursue, you know, the, the, the questions of how within that path and then also recognizing that you you are willing to admit when you're on the wrong path and you might turn around and you might realize it's a dead end and all of that stuff. I guess what I'm what I'm curious about is do you feel like there is actually a valid intersection between uh, and, and and more specifically quantum physics astrophysics these sort of larger scientific questions about the nature of the universe and Um, spirituality? Um, Is there a way to use
3: one to explore the other, in other words? So the answer, the short answer is yes. Uh, The slightly longer answer is what do you mean by spirituality? Okay, that's a very good question. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's a good question. My, My explorations of the universe, which are technically scientific, yet are peppered with moments of wild intuition and speculation, feel spiritual, especially, you know, Especially the good parts, like particularly the beginning and the end. Um, I think the majesty and the beauty and the complexity and and the surprise and the mystery of our universe are, are as spiritual as any possible religion. And th- these are words that are so often used in religion. You know the the grandeur and the mystery. So in that sense, and this has been said by you know plenty of people, including Carl Sagan. Uh, it's a it's a deeply spiritual endeavor. So, I guess, is the question then, uh, some of the notions that are typically ascribed to spirituality, like the the notion of the soul or of God, uh, are they in the purview of science? Well, depends you what say, you
1: mean by God or the soul.
3: <laughs> we're yeah, defining right all terms <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. But so, I'll, I will say the right that definition,
2: yes. one of the first things you said in this uh, interview is you talked about, you know, some of the questions that were raised by your Catholic upbringing was like, why is – Why are we here? Why is there stuff? Why is there a universe? And there's two approaches to that. You can dig into the facts of the Big Bang, and you can also kind of come at it from a more, I don't know, psycho-emotional standpoint of, like, why is there a universe? You know? And if there's why is there a universe, why do I have consciousness? Why does this weird, white, bloated suburbanite dad... Have consciousness to have this discussion right now. He's and
1: particularly bloated
3: right now. <laughs> I gained a lot of weight sense. this year, actually. Thanksgiving holidays. Amy's laughing at me. So, half the questions answered. Don't laugh at me. Uh, <laughs> The question is why, and and you brought up earlier the difference between the the question why and how, uh, and and I'm not so inclined to separate the two as many scientists. Many scientists. You know suggests that one should never ask why only how uh, i you know I think this is a little semantic uh, and so i'm 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 not as interested in only asking how how what is the the physical mechanism from going from this to that you know especially if you're going if you're trying to get back before there was anything the the whole notion of causality and physicality starts to starts to slip away uh, and so uh, you know that that's the point where there's definitely a, a very blurred line between the questions of what you might call religion and, and the questions of science but i maintain perhaps unreasonably that the scientific method as i i think of it which is just a way to give your you know your intuition and truth compass some some rigor and you know a check Mm -hmm. I think that is still valid. And I think, you know, honestly, I I think religious inquiry or spiritual inquiry accidentally uses a lot of what we think of in the scientific method anyway, which is, um, you know, chains of logic and cause and effect. I, th- I think science just tries to take it a bit further. Yeah, I say this right? all
1: the time, Matt. That's, it's exactly
2: what I think. That's kind of your thing,
3: isn't That's it? That's
1: my whole thing. I think a lot of non-religious people and, and many in the scientific community think that religious people are irrational or that um, spiritual belief is a, is a sort of product of a diseased mind. When anybody who's ever studied religion or religious people, anyone can tell you quite the contrary, that there is an enormous amount of dealing with empirical evidence of casting aside, you know, certain doctrines or creeds that conflict with new knowledge uh, about the the workings of the, of the world. The example that I always use is the example of, you know, recognizing that the earth is not the center of the universe, as most scriptures say. You know, religious people know that the earth is not the center of the universe. They're religious anyway. They still follow their scriptures. You know, I think there's this idea that the real division between science and religion is that one is based solely on evidence and facts and one is based on feelings and intuition, when in reality, a lot of science, as you've already said, is based on intuition and feelings and uh, more of religion than most people would like to admit is based on observable cause-effect, you know, empirical experiences.
3: Let let me... uh... Add to that, perhaps, uh, I would say that all of science includes uh, intuition uh, and creativity, uh, but all of science also includes certain non-negotiable aspects of of the scientific method uh, or or, or tools of science, and and so all include both. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is
1: that the scientific pursuit— is limited to that which is observable, meaning what you can experience with your empirical senses and the spiritual pursuit
3: is not. Well, tell that to a string theorist. Okay, so here's a they, question. They, no, string theorists <laughs> no, have theory. observed the thing for 50 years, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they're still in <laughs> science departments.
1: Uh, here's a, okay, well, here's a question for you. Is there more proof for a creator... Or more proof for string theory?
3: Uh, Stumped you. That depends a little bit we on your got definition him, of proof. <laughs> Yay, we win!
1: <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> he paused for a few minutes to think
3: <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Check okay, mate. thanks so much for calling Thanks, in. everyone. We'll Good night. No, I'm just kidding. Go yeah. ahead. I mean, so this is this is a, a really big question because uh, many, many scientists would, would – Say that there is no more proof for string theory than there is of a creator, but but here you get to this very touchy definition of proof, and you know the fact is that many theoretical physicists go down paths which are so far beyond testing simply because we can't build the the big enough particle accelerator in any foreseeable generation. Uh, but that doesn't make you know that doesn't make their lines of inquiry invalid. That that, that may be how the universe actually is. Um, but it it seems that we may need to reinvent what we define as evidence in science. I think we may need to move beyond, you know, sort of as it was laid out by Karl Popper, this, this sort of observational imperative. And and we may Mm -hmm. need to talk about what it means for, for example, mathematics to converge in a very consistent way on a particular picture, even if the, the way that, that math was derived was, is several layers removed from any observation. And we have uh, examples in, in history of, of scientists moving this way, of pursuing what you might call beauty in the math uh, and mathematical right, convergence. Right, right, right. And, and, they make the you know, best movies. Those... They, they really do. And my, my favorite <laughs> by far is, is Paul Dirac's uh, discovery of antimatter, a few years before it was discovered, and he did so by pursuing a beautiful equation that uh, would weave together einstein's special relativity with with quantum theory uh, and he couldn't do it, and he couldn't make the equation pretty unless he made certain really you know guesses in the math that that led to this this convergence and the only reason that he, he decided that this was right was because the equation was beautiful and his intuition told him that this was, this was, you know, there was some truth here. It predicted this mirror universe of particles, antimatter, uh, which a few years later were, uh, were observed. I bet he used a lot
2: of uh, sixes and nines because when they fit together, they're kind of like sperm (laughs) a little bit. And right on. Yeah. Uh, Well,
3: yeah. I mean, we all have our own definition of beauty. I, I, I could literally hear
1: our producer Amy groan through the soundproof wall.
2: <laughs> it's true; they're very pretty. I bet he's like, "I'm gonna." No, put but some- you
1: you bring up this really important point about sort of you know the the attempt to create the the beauty of math that it should it should fit certain you know logics and systems, which is why we're all going crazy about trying to figure out you know some unifying theory to make sense of Einstein and and quantum physics. I get that, but. I guess in in a sense, when we're talking about proof at this level, we're talking about simply observing certain effects and then theorizing the cause. String theory. We see effects. We need to make sense of it. And so let's theorize uh, a cause. And I would just say that a lot of spirituality and the spiritual, you know, point of view that that I share, that Rain shares, uh, is very much the same thing. We observe certain effects, and we theorize the cause.
3: I agree. Um, and I, I don't see, because I, I don't really see a difference, I don't see why the, the checks and balances of the scientific method can't be applied uh, to that mode of inquiry also.
1: Orby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Try
2: Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try on at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. Ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. I found that uh, filling out the form online, picking the glasses was just so simple and uh, easy and obvious. Did Did you enjoy this experience, Reza? I tried on all five.
1: And here's the funny thing, none of them were just right. And so you know what Warby Parker did? They were like, no problem, dude, put it back in the box, pick five more, here's the next five. And the second box arrived and I found the one that I liked. It was so easy, I couldn't believe it.
2: Do you have an iPhone 10 or newer? Download the Warby Parker app where you can use their virtual try-on, allowing you to try on eyeglasses, seeing the realistic color, texture and size of each style using just your phone. And if you prefer shopping in stores, you know what? Warby Parker also has retail locations throughout the United States. Find your nearest store at warbyparker.com/milkshake. Warby Parker
1: partners with nonprofits like Vision Spring to ensure that for every pair of glasses sold, a pair is distributed to someone in need. And like we said, Try this uh, five pairs of glasses at home for free yourself. You, you're, you, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. All you gotta do is go to warbyparker.com slash milkshake.
2: The Geeked Podcast is your weekly energy boost of the world's fandoms and stories you love. Hosted by Princess Weeks, author, YouTuber, and connoisseur of all things Sailor Moon and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Tessa Netting, who's an actress, musical theater nerd, and lover of all fictional villains. Each week, they will break down the top stories in the land of geekdom and then take a deep dive into the lore of Netflix worlds bigger than our own. Worlds like Stranger Things, The Umbrella Academy, The Witcher, and many, many, many more. You'll also get to hear some of your favorite actors and creatives talk about fun behind-the-scenes tidbits and, of course, what they are geeking out about. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone who is scouring Twitter threads and fan wikis, dying to theorize and talk about that new show they are obsessed with. They've got interviews with actor Joseph Quinn from Stranger Things 4, Emmy Raver-Lampman, who plays Allison Hargreaves in Umbrella Academy, podcast host and cultural critic Rose Damu, and many, many more. Episode 1 releases on Thursday, May 26, 2022. New episodes of The Geeked podcast to come out weekly. The Geeked podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow at Netflix Geeked on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So, um, Matt, we end every uh, episode with some uh, life's big questions.
1: And at no point in any uh, interview that we've ever done is the, has this first question been more relevant. When do you feel most connected
3: with the universe? Uh, staring at the night sky and being able to imagine it as the, the giant, 3d universe that i know it to be uh sometimes when you know the planets are lined up right uh you see them all in the same line with the moon uh if you if you out some binoculars you see the moons of jupiter in the same line uh as well along the ecliptic and you can just visualize the solar system and you can imagine the earth as, as one giant ball and then there's the milky way and you can kind of get this sense of this this Vast, vast perspective, and, and you're just kind of tiny and, and spinning through it. Uh, yeah. That's fantastic. And L- I, literally the
1: most complete answer to that question I think we've
2: yeah, ever, <laughs> ever had. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, I know you're a scientist, and there's no laboratory that can prove that you, have a, that you have a soul.
3: But if you had a soul, how would you describe that soul in 10 words or less? I would say a very curious and somewhat shy seven year old child.
1: Nice.
3: Beautiful. What is your biggest fear? That I'll realize I'm not nearly as smart as I think I am. <laughs> what is one thing you hate? Marzipan. <laughs> you too. And people asking about my star sign at parties. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want your final meal to be? Uh, probably a.
2: No, there's only one answer right now. Marzipan is the <laughs> yeah, only right, right answer.
3: That's why it was my final meal. Uh, and it's just like, a, like a, a really, really good coal oven pizza mm. that's good. with the really fluffy, crispy edge. And what is your life's big question? The thing that keeps coming back to me is, is why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, that's, that's the thorny one. Matt O'Dowd, uh,
1: you have a ton of fans uh, over here. Uh, thank you so much. That was so fascinating. Thank you for your openness and your honesty, too. Yeah, that was a brave discussion, yeah. and
2: uh, I really loved digging into some of those intersections yeah, between yeah. science and religion. It's not at all how I thought the conversation was going to go today, and uh, thanks for just jumping right in.
3: And RIP your career. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, now that I'm on YouTube, it's already dead but <laughs> Thank you so much. This was this was a delight. I love talking about this stuff.
2: Fascinating conversation. He was so willing to go to some really Mm -hmm. uh, personal kind of places. He was vulnerable. Yeah, he was was willing to be stretched. He was was willing willing to to say, "I don't know." Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say.
1: Long pauses. I loved.
2: Those long pauses. He was very contemplative. Yeah. Really, really terrific discussion. But, you know, what it got me thinking about is—and this is where I've—this is why I'm ultimately a theist. Because I've talked about this before on this show and in my book and blah, 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 other talk shows. Like, I went through a short phase as an atheist and a very long phase. I mean a long phase, a 10-year phase as an agnostic. And what finally brought me around to being a theist was really this— I couldn't picture a universe without some kind of creative, dynamic force behind it. I could; It just didn't make sense to me. Like, yes, I understand what an atheist would say. Well, it's not provable, and there's only science and scientific laws and, and matter and, and other measurable things um, that can be replicated, et, et cetera. But in my life, It just didn't make sense. And and I think about going through my life and having consciousness and like the birth of my son. We almost lost my son. He almost died when he was born. I mean, a hair's breadth away and holding him, that miracle of life, looking into his bright blue eyes and in the shitty hospital hallway. I think about being in love with my wife, having marital struggles that almost led to divorce and some real darkness in my life and, and ups and downs and experiencing beauty and pain and connection and lack of connection and darkness and light, addiction issues, lots of different ups and downs. And the reason I bring all this personal stuff into it is, like, as I've gone on the roller coaster of my life, it just doesn't make sense to me on any level in my heart, in my gut, in my head, instinctually. He kept talking about, like, these instinctual kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, what did he say? Uh, Intuition. Intuition, intuitive kind of... uh, processes, that it, it the, the, the universe doesn't make any sense to me without some kind of creative force behind it. So that's not very scientific, but I couldn't remain agnostic anymore. And why is it that the experience of being alive is so not like being Spock? The existence <laughs> of being alive mm-hmm. is laughter and pain and tears and connection and fears and... Awe and wonder and sadness and isolation and alienation and and back to connection again. Why do we live these lives that are so seemingly emotional and psycho-spiritual?
1: Yeah, and I think this is what I loved about Matt O'Dowd and the way that he talked about science is I think that he wouldn't discount what you just said. You know, he would say that you have had certain experiences and you have made certain observations that has created a level of intuition in the way that you think about the workings of the universe, and you have allowed that intuition to lead you down a certain path, a path that you are more than willing to To question and uh, even doubt and maybe even recognize as uh, a wrong turn here or there based on new observations, new experiences, testing out certain theories Mm -hmm. to see whether they work or not. I mean, that. That is the scientific method in a way. And look, neither of us are sitting here saying science and religion are the same thing. We're not saying that. Please don't email us about stuff like that or just email us about stuff like that. We don't care. We will take all of your emails. The point being is we're not saying they're the same. Matt's not saying they're the same. What we are saying is that there is a lot that the scientific method— um, can benefit from sort of the spiritual perspective. Sure. And so much of the spiritual perspective is informed by what we would refer to as the scientific method. Sure. And that that the true path of living a meaningful, fulfilled life is to not constantly think of these two things. As
2: being in opposition. As it
1: being in opposition, yeah. right? But to, to merge them together, to truly recognize that life is lived in its fullest when one is striving towards transcendence.
2: Two different tools toward understanding.
1: Right, exactly. Um, And, you know, if we had more Maddo Dowds, I think there would be less of a sort of this conflict between these two sides. Indeed. What do you guys think, uh, you scientific and or spiritual people out there? Uh, Tell us what you think about the conversation about science and religion and how they can intersect or not intersect. Are you a scientist who believes in God? Are you a religious person who doesn't believe in Darwin? Please let us know what you think. You can find us on socials at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson. Make sure to hashtag metaphysical.
2: Thank you again to our very special guest, the very brave scientist philosopher Matt O'Dowd. Make sure to check out his YouTube show, PBS Space Time. It's pretty awesome, and we will see you in the next universe. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Metaphysical Milkshake is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer
1: of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradwell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. Original music by Jeff Tang and Scott Tang. Which one is more racist, if I said the shrimp on the Barbie or if I said the dingo ate my baby?
2: Dingo ate my baby! The dingo ate my baby, just to be clear, is a true story.
1: Dingo There's ate nothing my funny about a dingo eating a baby. Dingo
2: ate the shrimp on my Barbie! Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I can't be racist against a fellow white man, I don't think. I don't think that's how it works.